If you want to, go ahead and open up to the book of Exodus, which is towards the front of your Bible. It's the second book of the Bible. Uh, we'll be in. We'll start in Exodus chapter fifteen. Exodus chapter fifteen. So imagine you're taking uh, a class in school. Let's just say it's a math class. And your teacher tells you you're going to have a test coming up. And so your teacher begins working through what's going to be on the test. Preparing you, running through the equations and the math problems that you're going to encounter on this test. Um, and so you do that. Let's say it's been some time. It's been a week. You spend some time preparing with the teacher, learning the material, doing the equations. And so now it's test day. You feel prepared. You feel good about it. Your teacher's done a good job of helping you. Um, you've done, on your end, you've done the work. You've done the practice. And the teacher hands you your test, and the first question reads something like, define what it means for a country to be a first world country. And you're thinking, wait a minute, this has been math class, right? So you're like, okay, that's got to be a joke. Let me skim to the second question, right? And it says, you know, what is white privilege, right? And you're like, what is going on here? So you skim to the next question. And it's just things just like that, right? Nothing to do with math. And so you start to think, okay, what, what's going on here, right? You're probably thinking you're crazy. You know, what, where have I been? What did my teacher done to me? But the bottom line is that... We wouldn't expect that to happen, right? The teacher prepares you for the material that's going to be on the test. That's really primarily one of the things that the teacher is going to do is prepare the material that they've been instructed to teach you, and they're going to help you learn that, and they're going to prepare you for any testing so you're knowledgeable in that field, right? We don't expect a teacher to prepare us for something and tell us that something's coming and then change it at the last minute, right? Um, and I think... That, that's kind of a, a, an easy example to understand because we've all had some schooling in our lives. But the, the, the same is true with God. He doesn't tell us one thing is coming and prepare us for that thing and then give us something totally different. He doesn't change it on us at the last minute. And with that, I want to kind of look at Exodus, and we're going to end up spending some time in Numbers as well. Um, it just the tests that Israel encountered and how God was preparing them to succeed in those tests and how ultimately um, God does the same thing with us. Um, and so let's look in Exodus chapter 15. Um, Exodus chapter 15 and verses 22 through 26 here if you want to follow along. Exodus 15 verses 22 through 26. So in this, this lesson, I've titled it, I kind of gave it two titles because I couldn't narrow it down here. I named it God Prepares His People, but then ultimately also it's kind of the purpose of the wilderness, right? And so we're going to spend some time looking at the various wildernesses that Israel kind of went through as they tried to get to the promised land that God was leading them to. And I think in many of these wildernesses, they all kind of carry different names, God was trying to get them to understand something. And ultimately, we were going to see that when they come to the land of promise, they aren't ready for it. They kind of fail the test that God gives them before they can enter the promised land. And so they have to go back and relearn it all for 40 years. And that's when we have the wilderness wanderings. Right? So in Exodus chapter 15, we have kind of this first 
this first test that we're going to observe here, beginning in verse 22. Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to the commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So in this instance, Israel's leaving Egypt, right? They've left Egypt behind. And so they have some needs. They're a huge group of people. I think water is a reasonable thing to to expect to have on a journey, right? Uh, But they don't have that. And they come to this place expecting to be able to, it seems, to drink the water, and they just can't. The water's undrinkable the way it is. Uh, And they, they take this opportunity and just kind of, oh man, we don't have water, we need water. And so it says, in fact, verse 24, that the people kind of complain to Moses about this. They grumble to him. You, you can imagine the things they might be saying. Moses, you let us out here, and we don't have water, and we need water, and this water is not any, even any good. Considering some of the other accounts we're probably at least somewhat familiar with and kind of Israel's attitude throughout this whole process, they might even be saying things like, Moses, you've let us out here to just die of dehydration. There's no water out here to drink. Uh, but look at Moses' response. Moses takes his complaint to God, takes his concern to God, and it says that he cries to the Lord, and God provides him a way, right? He shows him a log. Moses then takes that log, puts it in the water, the water becomes drinkable. Uh, and look at, really, the focus of this is this next part. There, the Lord, after this occurs, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them saying, if, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So this wilderness, it's named for us in verse 22 as being the wilderness of Shur, as being one of the first wildernesses that they encounter leaving uh, Egypt God provides water for Israel. They had a need, they recognized that need, they grumbled to Moses, and God provides water. It says, God also, in verse 25, made for them a statute and a rule. And we know what that statute and rule is in the following verses, and it's basically, if you listen to me and do the things I'm telling you, you're not going to have the diseases that Egypt encountered, right? So God teaches them from this. They have a need. God provides for that need some miraculous way. And he uses it as a teaching tool. If you come to me and you listen to the things I'm teaching you and obey them, then more or less, you're going to be a healthy nation. You're going to be uh, fit. And it says here in verse 25 as well that this was going to be kind of a point of testing for them. He tested them saying, And I understand this to kind of just mean, here's the proposition, and the test is whether you're going to take this or not, or you're going to live by it or not. And so we kind of have, we have kind of a theme set up for us, kind of pushing through, 
parts of Exodus and definitely through Numbers that this is going to happen time and time again. God's going to be refining and testing the people as they move towards the land of promise. And look at what he's kind of, if we sum this up, uh, if we make this into like a one-word answer, look at what he's trying to teach them in verse 26. At the very end there, for I am the Lord, your healer. To me, that seems to be kind of the underlying, the, we might say the bottom line message, that God is the healer. It's not Moses, it's not the water, God is their healer. They're not going to have the diseases of the Egyptians if they obey God because he is their healer. He's the one they need to be looking to for the rescue, right? They grumble to Moses, but who saves them? God does. And so that's kind of the point of testing. God's going to test them on this. You're going to have to remember that I am the healer. So you'd think next time that they bump into an occasion where they need water, maybe they would think, ah, I remember the wilderness of Shur. God's our healer. Let's appeal to God. But let's, let's move on to Exodus chapter 16. Immediately following this, we have the next wilderness, and it's the wilderness of sin according to verse 1 of chapter 16. Um, and this is a longer reading, but I do want to read 12 verses here. Exodus 1 through 12. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, You would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test you, test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Then Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling and that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So again, we have this other wilderness, right? They learn a lesson. Hopefully they're learning a lesson in the wilderness of sure that God is their healer. And if they just listen to what he has to say and do the things that he teaches them, that he's going to continue to be that. He's going to be able to be that for them. So they come to this wilderness of sin. And what do they do? Well, they first of all, they recognize that they have a need, right? It says that in verse 2, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron again in the wilderness. And they say, would that we have died in, uh, by the hand of the Lord in Egypt because we sat by meat pots and we ate bread to the full. Their complaint is this time is that they're hungry. You know, the first time they didn't have water and they grumbled against Moses and God taught them a lesson. I'm your healer. This time, we're hungry. And now we're specifically remembering times where it seemed like things were better in that realm, right? 
We look back at Egypt. Man, we, were, we just happened to be sitting by pots that were full of meat. And we ate as much bread as we wanted to. It would have been better if we died back there than to be in the position we're in now, right? So again, I think we see some things in this. Obviously, God hears their grumbling. I mean, that's repeated multiple times throughout this section. And he responds to it, right? He actually gives them bread and meat. It says they grumble against Moses and Aaron, and then Moses and Aaron take it to the Lord, and the Lord says, let them know I hear them. Um, and he provides for them. And he, of course, this whole chapter is all about the provision and how he's going to provide for them in the mornings and they're going to be able to take it in. And there's some rules around this. If you read the chapter, they're not to take more than what they need in a day except on the sixth day and they're to gather two days worth because they're not supposed to gather on the seventh day. There are some stipulations to this, but ultimately, really, in the grand scheme of things, they're not really doing anything. They're just going out and getting what's been brought to them, right? It's an amazing story of God providing for them. In verses 4 and 5, Again, what I was just saying, they, they're taught the commandments on gathering, right? But look at verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God provided for them, but in that provision there were some rules. Go and gather a day's worth. Don't gra- gather more. And in doing so, you're going to be showing whether or not you're paying attention, whether you're going to pass my test or not. And he says that specifically, whether they will walk in my law or not. God provided for them, but how they responded to that, to that provision told him whether or not they were willing to walk in his laws or not, and specifically on how they gathered. And so again, God takes this opportunity to say that he's testing them. Yes, he answers their blessing, as answers them with a blessing of this food, and ultimately, he wants them to learn, as verse 12 says, that then you, at the very end of verse 12, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Ultimately, his provision for them is supposed to be teaching them, as he says in verse 12, that he is the Lord. That he is, we might even say, the supreme God, the God above all. He is the Lord your God. Okay, so again, in this wilderness, they're learning another lesson, right? God is teaching them some lesson that he's the Lord, he provides, just as he taught before that he's their healer and he provides. And he's going to be testing them on these things they're learning. Let's move on to the next wilderness that we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 17. So they were supposed to learn that he was their healer and the provision of the water. In Exodus 16, that he is the Lord their God, the supreme God, in, uh, in, ver- in Exodus 17, by providing them food. Well, in, or in, yeah, Exodus 16, sorry. In Exodus 17, we have the wilderness of Sinai. They go from Shur to Sin to Sinai. Um, in verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? 
So my, Moses cried to the Lord, And what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Okay, so this we see for the first time explicitly that things have been kind of turned on its head. The first time they're supposed to be tested by the Lord to know that he is the healer. That was the test. If you walk in my ways, you're learning the lesson that I'm the healer. The second time, provision of food. Ultimately, if they uh, abide in that provision correctly and take the right amount and they honor that, then they were learning that he is the supreme God. Well, again, in chapter 17, they don't have water. They run into the same need that they had just a couple chapters prior. Well, have they learned the lesson from the first time? Well, it seems not, right? They grumble to Moses again. and In fact, they go, it seems like a step further this time, just like they did in chapter 16, and they say, you're killing us. You brought us out here just to die, right? And in fact, the phrasing that we've been seeing a couple times, it's now God tested them, God tested them, is turned on its head, and it says the people test God. And ultimately how it's phrased at the back end of this section, is it says in verse 7, the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Does it seem like the people had really been taking in the lessons that they were supposed to be learning? Is God their healer? Well, it doesn't seem like they realize that or want that or understand that or whatever. Is God the Lord their God? Well, it doesn't seem like they learned that lesson either because they're questioning if even God's with them. Is the Lord with us or not? Because we're dehydrated and dying out here. Um, You know, this this one's a difficult one to see because God does end up providing water for them. God teaches Moses how to solve the problem in the provision of the water. He tells him what to do to bring water and letting the people drink. Um... And so I think this is an interesting lesson. I think rather one thing that maybe we can get from this is rather than testing God when we have concerns, when concern or uh, trouble arises, Israel should have remembered the past examples and the past commandments of God and approached this entirely different. And I think that's useful for us, and we're going to get into more application a little bit later. But Israel should have learned the lessons up to this point. And they would have approached this. You can imagine how they would have approached it completely differently if they had really trusted in the lessons God had been teaching them. But let's not sit here. Let's move on to the next one in Numbers. Um, this is Exodus 17 was kind of a low point, right? They end up anxious and worried and concerned. And so they end up testing God instead of allowing God to refine and test them. We get to the wilderness of Paran in, in Numbers chapter 12. We'll read uh, beginning in verse 6. Numbers 12, verse 6. Oh, 16, sorry. 16. Numbers 12, verse 16. 
After that, the people set out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And we'll read through uh, verse 2 here. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving you the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So here, here's kind of the last wilderness that we see them encounter before they're supposed to be able to go into the promised land. They end up in the wilderness of Paran. And what happens here, and I'm sure we're at least most of us are somewhat familiar with this story, is they camp kind of on the, the edge of the promised land. They're about as close as they can get without going in. And so God ends up telling them to send some people into the land to spy it out, to see uh, the land for themselves. And you'll notice that in this, uh, verses 17 through 20, I want to read because I, I want to point something out in this. Beginning of verse 17 of chapter 13 of Numbers, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev, go up into the hill country. See what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, bring some of the fruit of the land. All right. So God says, you know, when, I, when I'm commanding you to send these ones in, there's a lot of things to look at, right? See who's in the land. Do they look strong? Do they look weak? Does the land look good or not? Right? Are there trees? I mean, just take a survey of the land. You know what one question he doesn't really ask them to observe? Give me your opinion on whether or not you can conquer the land. Right? He says, see if it's good. He wants them to see with their own eyes that the land he is bringing them to is good. And certainly, if we read on, the people would have come to that conclusion just judging by the grapes they brought back. They brought back a whole cluster of grapes that had to be carried on a pole. Um, But God doesn't say, give me your input on whether or not you're strong enough to conquer the land, which is ultimately what the people end up judging. And I, I come to this to just say this. Israel's to be learning these lessons in all the wildernesses up to this point. They finally come to the edge of the promised land, and it seems like they've learned nothing, right? If they had been taking in the lessons up to this point, then I'm going to do a little bit of supposing here. We can only imagine how this would go differently. They would send people into the land to observe the land. All 12 people would have come back, and all 12 would have said, it's just like God described it. There's some big, strong people in there, But the Lord is our healer. He provides for us. He's taking care of us at every point up to this way. And so God is going to provide us what he said he's going to provide. I mean, you know, you can imagine something like that being the answer, right? If they had been taking in the lessons. But ultimately, what they end up saying is we can't take the land. The people are too big and strong. It is what God said it is. It's a good land, but there's no way we can have it. Right? Only two of the twelve people say, we need to take it. God's giving us this land. And so, really, the people as a whole have failed to kind of learn the lessons we see God trying to teach them in the wilderness, the various wildernesses along the way. Um, And so, Numbers 13 is kind of their last failure on this front. Um, We know, ultimately, God doesn't allow them to go into the land because they haven't learned the lessons that they need to learn. Um, 
I mean, verses 17 through 20, seems to me, though it never comes out and says it, um, you know, God is kind of testing them what they've learned. Uh, going to the land. But ultimately, the bottom line is, he doesn't ask them if they can take it. They have, they've learned that lesson. God can give them the land. So, Numbers 14, 26, uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 26 through 35. We'll read this. We'll actually pick up in verse 27. The Lord speaks to Moses saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in your in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. So God obviously is really displeased with the people, and he tells them that they failed the test. God's preparing them and preparing them just as a good teacher would do. You know, we might say, here's what's on the test. You need to know that I'm your healer and that I'm the God that controls and provides. He's been teaching us all along. And then when the question comes on the test, can God provide? Can God take care? They say, no, he can't. And so ultimately God punishes them for that and sends them back into the wilderness to spend 40 years reliving the lessons. Um, When you uh, go through Numbers, really the rest of Numbers is relearning all these lessons. Uh, I'm just going to run through these quickly. We're not going to turn to any of these passages um, in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36, um, when this, the guy who breaks up, breaks the Sabbath by picking up the sticks, um, we learn that God punishes the lawbreakers, right? It's a simple lesson we could learn from that. God hates the proud, Korah's rebellion, Numbers chapter 16. It's a lesson we learned from that, right? He stands against those who are proud. God is righteous on the back end of chapter 16 there um, as the congregation rises against Moses and Aaron for what's happened. Um, We learn that God is righteous when he sends a plague on those questioning his actions, right? God is authority, chapter 17, when he causes Aaron's rod to bud, right? Showing that he is with Aaron. They don't need to question Aaron's uh, position, Numbers 17, 12, all the way through 1922. Uh, we see the holiness laws given there. That's kind of how I sum them up, laws on holiness. And I think one basic lesson we can get from that is God is loving. 
Because if you look in, in chapter 17, verse 12, the concern of the people of to Moses is, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Are we all to perish? So for the next couple of chapters of text that we have, God is telling them how they can come near without dying. And so we see God's love in that. He wants them to be able to come near, in a sense, without suffering repercussion. Um, chapter 20 of Numbers. God is to be respected. When Moses hits the rock, instead of doing what God said and speaking, that's a basic lesson we learn from that, that Moses has to learn. So many passages in Numbers. Chapter 21, chapter 31. God defeats Israel's enemies, and we're learning that God is a warrior. He's able to defend and provide for those who he's with god afflicts and heals in chapter 21 when he curses or curses them with snakes but then gives them the cure he's able to afflict and to be able to be the the healing god's never thwarted in chapter 22 when balaam ends up blessing israel instead of cursing them god's plans can't be undone god is holy in chapter 25 when he sends a plague uh, because of the midianite woman who enters the camp uh, we learn that God's holy. And God alone is God. We, I don't actually learn this from Numbers, or the lesson that I take from this isn't from Numbers, but in Amos, when he refers back to the time that Israel was in the wilderness, they were worshiping other gods along with Jehovah. He was not even alone then. And the lesson is that is God should have been alone. He'd been their only God in the wilderness. And so that's just a quick summary of how the rest of Numbers is emphasis on the basic <coughs> lessons but they should have learned the first time around from their delivery in Exodus. Um, and so the book of Deuteronomy ends up being basically, if you ever read Deuteronomy, it's basically like a test review, right? Remember all the lessons you've learned again for this second time in the wilderness. Before you enter the land of promise, you need to review all the things you're supposed to know, right? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. This will be the last passage that we look at before we make just some easy application for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now this is things spoken to Israel as they're about to, at the end of the 40 years, finally enter into the promised land. Verse 1, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And here we go. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land which you'll eat bread without scarcity and which you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of the hills you can dig copper. 
and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's giving you. That's just one excerpt from Deuteronomy, and there's so many other places you could look at that say more or less the same thing. The lessons that your father should have learned have again been instilled in this generation. And when you go into the land, all the concerns of your fathers about what are we going to eat? It was better in Egypt. We're not being taken care of. Are going to be abundantly addressed in the land. They had been addressed on the way, but how much more so in a land of their own where they would have the pomegranates and the olive trees and the copper hills and the iron. And so... This is like the test review before finally getting the test. God's been testing and testing and teaching. They fail the test. So you got to go back and relearn all the same stuff again. And so before, like kind of we might say in Israel's history, before they get the, the land, this is kind of their like final exam, right? Like before you take the big test and you go into the land, you need to remember these things. So obviously there's a lot of application for us today. I mean, God's the same, right? He tests us and he wants us to know his commandments and live out his laws to, to more or less show that we believe in him and that we trust him as the healer and as our God. But the passage that James read for us this morning from Hebrews 4 parallels what happened to Israel as more or less what we go through as Christians. Um, if you want to turn there again, we'll just point out a couple, I'll just point out a couple things there. Um, nothing, you know, that you haven't thought of on your own, I'm sure. But just to encourage us that while Israel looks really silly for a lot of the decisions they make, I think we make the same decisions a lot of the times when we reject God's provision and care for us. Um, We don't trust. And I think Hebrews 4 makes that abundantly clear. So again, let's just read this again to get it fresh in our minds. Uh, We'll just read verses 1 and 2 first here. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, speaking of God, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, speaking of Israel. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So it's contrasting you know, in Hebrews is contrasting Christians against Israel. We need to learn the lessons that Israel didn't learn, right? Unlike them, they didn't hear and learn in the unity of faith. They kind of went and did and they thought what they thought and they didn't learn the lessons. And ultimately, the generation that failed the test in Numbers 13 didn't get to go into the promised land. And so the Hebrew writer here is making the point of we need to learn from their mistake that we don't fail to enter the rest the better rest that God is providing Christians. You know, the land, the promised land, Canaan, that Israel is supposed to be going to, just a shadow of heaven. It's just a shadow of the final promised land that Christians and believers are promised. It's so much better than the, the land of Canaan. Israel doesn't even really have that land anymore. It's not even permanent. Um, but the land that we're promised as believers is permanent. But just like Israel, we can fail to enter that that rest as it's described. And so that's the warning in verses 1 and 2. Skip to the end of the chapter here, verse 9. Here's the encouragement. The warning is, don't be like Israel and fail to enter the rest. But at the back end of this chapter, we have the encouragement. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That's something that Israel failed to do. They didn't work. They didn't strive. They didn't challenge themselves. You know, whatever ways you want to phrase that. There was no striving on their part. There was complaining. There was grumbling. There was no striving to enter the land. There was no attempt made on their part to learn the lessons. And so that's really where I would encourage everybody here is like, look at, look at Israel and how they failed to enter that rest. And is that something that you want to miss out on? As a Christian, God's promised to give us rest when we're united with him again someday. But that's conditional upon the same types of things that Israel had. We have to hear God's word. We have to understand his commandments and his statutes and be able to live by them so we, as God tests us in those things, we can prove ourselves true. Um, I'd encourage everybody here to consider this. Again, it's not something we probably haven't thought about, learning from God and trying to do the things he says, but maybe this is a different way to think about it. And that helps us relate to Israel, right? Sometimes I, I read the Old Testament and I, I just kind of wonder at the things that are going on and I think, why, is, why, why does this help me? And so maybe this helps you think about Israel and, and it encourages you to learn from their mistakes, right? That's what parents are always trying to do. Learn from their mistakes so you don't repeat them, right? And that's kind of what Israel is to us in this sense. We can learn from their mistakes so we don't repeat them. Um, so I appreciate everybody paying attention this morning. If um, you're making the same mistake Israel made and you're not paying attention to God's teaching about who he is and what he does, um, that manifests itself in either not listening to that lesson at all in the first place or even not heeding the lesson. If you find yourself in one of those two categories, that's certainly something we can help you begin to change that with God's help this morning. And if... You just, you've made that commitment at some point in your life, but you find yourself becoming more like Israel. Do something about that. Help, but let us pray for you. Let us know about that so we can help you in any way that you need. Um, just make that known to someone nearby if, that, if you find yourself in one of those positions. Uh, at this time, Robin's going to lead us in a song. One.